Well, today is what has come to be known as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, and it marks the beginning of what has come to be known as Passion Week. Passion Week refers to the last week of Jesus' life before he is crucified. Now, for our modern minds, the word passion is an odd word to use to refer to this period of Jesus' life, isn't it? I mean, when we hear the word passion, we usually think of strong feelings about something that we enjoy or romantic desire. For example, that guy is passionate about cycling, or the passion between those two people is obvious. The word passion can also refer to very strong feelings or emotions of other kinds, though, too. In the case of the Passion Week, it's referring to the very strong feelings that Jesus Christ experienced during that final week of his life. And in particular, it refers to the very strong feelings of suffering and agony that he experienced leading up to and during his torture and crucifixion. So it it might be more meaningful for people in our day actually to refer to this final week of Jesus' life as suffering week or agony week to get that idea across. When we hear it that way, then it brings it into sharper focus for us this week of his agony. Another way that the word passion is used in our day is to refer to rash or irrational Things that a person does which they later regret. People will say, it was a fit of passion. Now in the case of Jesus, this week was not at all a rash or irrational thing that he was doing in the moment. It was not something that he got caught up in and he would later regret. Instead, it was a very deliberate, determined thing that he was doing. It was part of his life mission. Luke 9.51 says that as the time drew near, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It literally says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to carry out his God-given mission to rescue us. Nothing would stop him from doing that. Well, Palm Sunday gets its name from the special greeting that Jesus received from the crowd on the day that he entered Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week. We're going to take a break from our study through the letter of Romans today and talk about Palm Sunday. Now, if you pay attention, though, as we get into the study and near the end of the teaching today, you're going to see that it also connects to what we have been looking at in the letter of Romans, both last week and coming up in our study next time. So turn over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to pick up in verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Jesus is at the outskirts of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, near the towns of Bethany and Bethphage, preparing to make his entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now, Bethany and Bethphage, they're 
two small villages a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Bethany may sound familiar to you. It's the hometown of Jesus' friend Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Well, Jerusalem is the seat of religious and political power. It is where the power brokers of Israel reside. The leaders of the nation are here. The temple is located in Jerusalem. By going to Jerusalem, Jesus is marching straight into the teeth of those who hate him and want to kill him. If Jesus is primarily interested in enjoying his retirement years, then Jerusalem is the one place he should avoid at all cost. Everything Jesus is doing and teaching is incompatible with the Jerusalem that the leaders of the Jews have created. Jesus didn't come to earth, though hoping to live long enough to start getting the senior discount. He came to live every day of his life pursuing and fulfilling the will of God for him, no matter what it might be, no matter what the cost might be to him. So he's going to Jerusalem fully aware of what awaits him there. Jesus told his disciples what would be waiting for him there in Luke 18, verse 31. It says, Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. I always have found it amazing that Jesus knew what he was getting himself into from the very beginning. He chose to enter our world as a human being, as our Messiah, knowing full well how it was going to turn out and what it was going to cost him. He didn't go to Jerusalem thinking he was going to be loved by everyone, handed a bouquet of flowers, eat grapes under a shade tree for the rest of his life. He knew instead it was going to lead to brutal, humiliating torture and death. And yet he did it. Now this cult that Jesus is referring to is the cult of a donkey rather than the cult of a horse. It's a young donkey that has never been ridden before, which means it was suitable to be used for a sacred task. Now try to put yourself in the place of these two disciples for a moment who are being sent on this errand to get this donkey colt. Jesus tells you to go into the village and you will find a donkey colt tied up at a certain place. And that sounds easy enough. He tells you to untie the colt and bring it to him. And this is where the assignment gets a little dicey. I would be a little apprehensive about just taking this colt, which is obviously owned by somebody. And Jesus knows that the disciples are a little uncertain about following these instructions. So he reassures them by saying, if anyone asks you what you're doing taking the colt, just tell them the Lord needs it. Okay. Verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. So, again, putting ourselves in the place of these two disciples, you go into the village and you find everything just as Jesus described. There's this colt tied up as if it's just waiting for you. 
you look around to see if anyone is watching. The coast is clear. You nervously untie the colt, hoping no one will notice what you're doing. And then from behind you, the voice says, hey, what are you doing with that colt? Well, you're jumping out of your skin at this point, afraid you're on your way to jail for donkey theft. You try to look cool, and, and you just say, uh, the Lord needs it. And amazingly, rather than calling the police, the person says, okay. Yeah. Verse 35. It says, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So some of the disciples, they spread their cloaks over the donkey to provide a makeshift saddle for Jesus. And as they get closer to Jerusalem, a large crowd gathers on each side of the road leading into the city to welcome Jesus. It says that some lay their cloaks down on the road in front of Jesus, while others cut green branches from the trees to put them down on the road in front of him. In John's account, it tells us that people were actually cutting palm branches and putting those down in the road. And that's where this name Palm Sunday comes from. The crowd is shouting praises and proclaiming the coming of the Messiah King. The crowd is chanting, Hosanna. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna. Now, Luke's telling of the story here leaves out Hosanna, but the other three accounts include it. And Hosanna means save us. So here they are shouting, save us, save us. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what does all of this mean? What's the significance of what the people are doing here? Well, by laying down their garments in these tree branches in the road, the people are making a path of honor for Jesus. They're creating a path of royalty for Jesus to travel on as he enters Jerusalem. They're giving him a king's welcome into the city. In more modern times, when a great dignitary is being welcomed, they will roll out a long red carpet for the person to walk on. We have the expression to roll out the red carpet. We give a person the red carpet treatment. That's what we have going on here that these people are doing for Jesus. They're laying out this red carpet, essentially, for him to enter the city. They're treating Jesus like he is a king, the king. They see Jesus as the coming one, spoken in the ancient prophecies, the great king, the son of David, coming into his capital city of Jerusalem to take his throne. Well, Jesus, he is indeed the king. But this king is not like any king we have ever encountered before. He owns nothing except the clothes on his back. Even the donkey that he's riding on is borrowed. 
The donkey was a symbol of peace and humility. It was the animal of the common people. The horse, on the other hand, that was the animal that kings usually rode on. The horse was a symbol of honor and power and war, not the donkey. What a radical contrast between the king that God sent to us and the kings that we choose for ourselves. The king that God sent us is a king of peace and reconciliation and rescue. God didn't send his son into our world to make war. He sent his son into our world to save us, to bring reconciliation and peace between us and God. In Colossians 1.19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's that familiar passage in John, John 3.16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The fulfillment of prophecy spoken 500 years before these events take place in Zechariah 9.9, it's happening in this very moment as Jesus is welcomed by the crowd into the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah 9.9 said, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 39, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So we see here the religious leaders witnessing what's taking place. They tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples and the crowd for saying such blasphemous things, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah King. That was considered a serious offense in their eyes, worthy of being stoned to death. Jesus tells them there's no way to prevent what's taking place this day. If the people are kept quiet, the very stones will cry out. What's happening is such an important moment in human history that there is no way to stop it. The Messiah is here. People in the crowd this day can hardly contain themselves. They are so excited. The moment that they and their forefathers have dreamt about and prayed for for hundreds of years has finally come. Their Messiah King has arrived in his city. But not everyone is rejoicing on this day. These religious leaders, they're not happy about what's taking place. There's also someone else who's not rejoicing, but for a very different reason. Look at the next verses. Verse 41, it says, As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. The word translated wept is a very strong word. It's also translated into English as wailed and sobbed. In other words, Jesus is bursting into sobbing tears as he laments the fate of this city and its people. You know, there are only two times that Jesus is recorded to be seen weeping in the gospel stories. Here and the other time is when he weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus in John 11. See, Jesus sees beneath the surface. 
Even though Jesus receives a king's welcome by the people of this day, he knows what lies ahead. He foresees his rejection by the Jewish people as their Messiah and what that will mean for them. The very ones who ought to have recognized him first and welcomed him most as their Messiah will reject him. They will be the ones who will arrest Jesus in less than five days from these events, condemn him to die based on trumped-up charges, hand him over to the Romans then to be tortured and crucified. When the Roman governor offers to set Jesus free, they will shout, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. What irony there will be in those words. Many of the same people who give Jesus a king's welcome into Jerusalem on this day, on Palm Sunday, are going to reject him as their king on Friday, demanding that he be crucified. Verse 42, Jesus said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This prophetic prediction of Jesus comes true in startling detail. The Romans are going to destroy the city of Jerusalem and slaughter its people in about 40 years from now, in AD 70, and in a manner that is frighteningly consistent with the prediction that Jesus gives here. You, you can still see today some of the massive stones of the temple from the time of Jesus that were thrown down off of the Temple Mount by the Romans laying where they landed some 2,000 years ago. And there's a picture showing some of those stones right there. Let's flip over to John chapter 1 for a moment. In verse 9, John writes, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Those he made did not know him, John tells us here. Further, those he had chosen as his own special people, through whom he came into this world, the Jewish people, ought to have recognized and welcomed him most. But instead, they rejected him. They did not receive him. They handed him over to their enemies to be tortured and killed. But in verse 12, John continues, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Not all will reject Jesus. Some will recognize him and believe in him and receive him as their Savior and Lord. And them 
he will make children of God, born not through biology, but through a spiritual birth. You guys will remember we've been talking about that in the Letter of Romans study that we've been doing. In closing, the people on that first Palm Sunday, they gave Jesus a king's welcome into the city of Jerusalem. Unfortunately, they did not all give him a king's welcome into their hearts. What about you and me? What kind of welcome have we given Jesus? Have you given Jesus a king's welcome into your heart? On this Palm Sunday, give Jesus as your king a welcome into your heart. Ask him to come into your life and be your king now and forever. Submit your life to him as your king. Love him, worship him, follow him. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus wants to come into your life. Will you open the door of your life and invite him in? For this Passion Week, which is this week, I want to encourage you to set time aside each day this week to think about this being the final week of the life of Jesus. And to help you do that, I I want to encourage you to read this week from the Gospels the time period from Palm Sunday forward to the Last Supper with his disciples. You you can do that in different ways. You can read all from a single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or you can read from all of them. The sections to read from each gospel are these, and I've put them up on the screen, and I also made a little flyer, a little handout out in the lobby that you can grab on your way out if you're interested in this. So you can grab one of these. They look like this, and they're on the little table on that side of the doors, unless someone moved them. But hopefully that's where you'll be able to find them. But the sections to read from each gospel would be Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, through Matthew 26, verse 30, Mark 11, 1 through 14, 26, Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 22, 23, and John chapter 12, verse 12 through 18, verse 1. Now, one way to do this is to read the story from one of these Gospels each day this week. For example, uh, read the Matthew passage on Monday, and then read the Mark passage on Tuesday, read the Luke passage on Wednesday, and then read the John passage on Thursday. And then this Friday evening, we'll be having the Good Friday service at the church, and these readings will set you up for that. Because our readings that night are going to pick up right after those events that you've been reading about during the week. And like I said, we'll be doing a Tenebrae-style service for Good Friday. Some of you have come before, so you know what that means. But for those of you who have not come to a Good Friday service before, I want to explain that a little bit to you right now. The word Tenebrae is Latin meaning darkness. So the service is designed to help us reflect 
on the betrayal, suffering, the death of Jesus, and it begins with the atmosphere of the room here. It, it will be dark here in the sanctuary to remind us of the dark nature of the events. The service will include worship music and singing and readings from the gospel accounts, which will take us through the betrayal of Jesus, his arrest, his abandonment, his trial, his condemnation, his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. There will be candles present on the stage here, which will represent Jesus and his followers. And as the service progresses, candles will be extinguished to symbolize the growing darkness of the events and the increasing abandonment of Jesus by his followers and friends. And it will end with the last candle being extinguished, representing the death of Jesus. And at the end of the service, then we ask that everyone would exit in silence to maintain the solemn atmosphere, to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to our hearts about the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. We'll wait until Sunday, Easter morning, to celebrate his resurrection. The Good Friday service, it, it's a, a good preparation and lead up for Easter morning then, see? And, and I, I, I hope you'll come and you'll experience all of that this week. It's one of the most moving and soul-enriching services of the year, that Good Friday service. Those of you who've been here, I'm sure you would agree with that. Good Friday is oddly named, though, for our modern minds, isn't it? It's, It's actually the day when Jesus is crucified, which is a horrifying thing in itself. The one who made us submitted himself to being humiliated and tortured and killed by us. That's not good in itself. What's good, though, is what resulted from that terrible death. It's brought forgiveness and reconciliation between us and God. It has made forever life possible for us. It has made it possible for us to be born spiritually, to become the children of God. And that's all very good. The great Lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead. On Sunday, he resurrected, and we will celebrate his resurrection this next Sunday. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son Jesus for us. We thank you for him giving his life for us. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that this whole week leading up to Easter, that you would help each of us to set time aside to reflect on uh, the events that took place in that last week of Jesus' life here among us. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us this week, and you would do some really special, wonderful work in us as we meditate on these events and allow you to speak to us Change us. Make this so for each of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.